You know, when people think about missions, sometimes they think about images of a bygone era. They think about missions as for another time. They think maybe a few New Testament verses. Uh, Some think of it as a program of the church. But how many of you know that God himself is on a mission? This morning, I want to take a flyover view of that mission. And I want you to be able to see with me an understanding that will motivate you, I think, to be a part of this mission. By the end of our time together, I hope that you will uh, understand that the mission is still not complete. That the Bible, the whole Bible itself is the basis of mission, not just a few verses. In Genesis, we see and begin to understand God as the self-existent one. Perfect in relationship and love, magnificent, beyond imagination, right? He's the triune being, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in eternal relationship and love. And God speaks vast universes and galaxies into existence by his own wisdom and by his own power. He creates the worlds and everything in it. And he creates mankind after his own image. His desire to walk with man, giving him everything he needs and dominion over creation. Yet we know the story. What happens, right? Sin enters into the world. And God says the soul that sins shall die. And along with death comes corruption and all kinds of evil. The world itself is at war and is not as it should be. How many of you know that? All you got to do is turn on the news and you can see that the world is not the way that it should be. But here we see God give a prophetic promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. He says after the fall when Adam and Eve sinned, he, he gives this prophetic utterance. I will put enmity between you. It's talking about the, 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 the devil, Satan, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 concerns the serpent, Satan, and the woman and her offspring. And the ultimate triumph comes in the end through what the Bible calls the seed of the woman. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear of the seed. The land lease of the earth and the dominion that went along with it was lost through a human being who sinned, and it must be regained through one who has not sinned. And so we know the story continues. Uh, for the most part, uh, man turns away from God, except for a remnant. God tells them to scatter, to go throughout the earth, but they rebel and they try to gather together at a place called Babel, right? You remember the story? So God confuses their languages and nations are created. And people, a lot of times, they don't realize that this was actually an an act of mercy by God. Because the people, when they were united, nothing that they imagined in their heart to do would be impossible. They would have destroyed themselves a long time ago. But because of the languages, it was hard for them to get together in unity to do something destructive. In the same way, with Pentecost, we see the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon a group of people. They all speak in one language, and we see a unification of what is possible when people are together in one accord, in one place, right? By the Spirit of God. And so God God begins to work in in human history, and we see that, uh, that the seed continues on through Noah and his family until it reaches a man called Abram. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed in all in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to remember that because God encounters Abram and calls him to be Abraham, the father of many nations. It's through his obedience that God will raise up a nation that it will ultimately bring the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Abraham has sons. Prominent of those sons are Isaac and Jacob. You know the story. Jacob becomes Israel. And through the nation of Israel's journey, God prepares them to be a unique people, completely set apart from other godless nations around them. And after their journey from Egypt into the promised land, there continues to be a seed that works against all odds and comes through this tribe called Judah. God's purpose for Israel is really important to understand this. His purpose for Israel was not simply to give them laws and make them strange, right? Because they were strange in their day. And sometimes you read the book of Leviticus and you think, that's strange. But he set them apart so that his ways would be known through them as a unique people and his salvation would go to the ends of the earth. They were called to be a light to the nations. So we see here in Isaiah 49, the principal purpose of the nation of Israel throughout history and time. God says, is it too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This was God's purpose. Even from the beginning through the call of Abraham the call of Israel, setting them apart, was always for the ultimate purpose that the nations would be blessed. This is important for us to see because it's not just a little part of the Bible, but it's from beginning to end, the whole Bible is the basis of mission. That's what I want you to understand this morning. So God prepared a remnant. And despite their continual backslidings, you remember the story of Elijah, right? Elijah was depressed. As a prophet, he said, I'm the only one serving God. And God says, what? I've reserved how many? 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to the enemy, to, the, to, to Baal. And in the fullness of time, through that remnant, God brings forth his son, Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. You know, the virgin birth is essential. Why? Because sin nature was believed to be passed from the father. But the father of the Lord Jesus is God himself, God, the father. Right. And he came through the woman who was of the tribe of Judah, of Israel. And so his promised Messiah came in the fullness of time through a woman without sin in order to be the one who would take the place of Adam who had sinned. He is called the second Adam. You know that, right? So he comes through and that's why you see all these genealogies in the New Testament this person begot this person, begot that person. They're trying to show you that this is what was foretold. This is, the, this is happening. The thing that, that was prophesied is coming to pass. And so we see that God is on a salvation mission. He called a nation to partner with him. And through that nation, despite all odds against it, his word became flesh and entered into the world. And Jesus Christ is that word. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I don't have to tell you about that, don't I? Right? Because he's, he's our Lord. He's our king. But he's not just the Lord of the Westerners. He's not just the Lord of the Koreans. He's the Lord of all nations, right? 
because he made from one blood all people to dwell upon the face of the earth. And he set the times and the, the, the boundaries of their habitation so that what? They may seek him and find him, though he's not very far from any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, is what he says. And so he came, many prophecies, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. They thought he would come as a conquering king, but he actually came in the form of a suffering servant. Completely different than what the Jews were expecting. So God used his wisdom and confounded their wisdom. But he came preaching the kingdom and calling everyone to change their mind to repent and believe the good news. And so without a right view of the king and his kingdom, mission really doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why would someone like Bo and Cindy leave the comfort of Southern California, right? And go to the backwoods of China, to the Zhuang people. Why would they do that? And I, I want to I submit to you this morning that it's because I believe anyone who does that has a right view of the king and his kingdom. That they see the king is of infinite worth and value. That they see the kingdom is this, this message of the kingdom has absolute supremacy over all peoples and all nations and all times. There's no negotiating. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. The Father is the destination. The Father, the love of the Father is what he wants us to understand and to know and to experience throughout all of eternity. It's not that we go to this place on the clouds and we just, you know, do some worship songs together. And, you know, there's something about the, the relationship that we had in the garden that was that was marred by sin that he wants to bring back to that place uh, uh, right here, right now and into eternity. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Think about what this looks like today. You're walking around doing a little hike somewhere and, you know, you notice something sparkling in the distance. You go over there and you find this box and it's full of all kinds of diamonds and jewels and money. Someone it looked half buried and it looked like someone had. Maybe the earth had pushed it up or something and you found it. And then you saw a sign that said for the field for sale. So you rush home and you start emptying your bank accounts. You start selling everything you own. You start, you know, get getting rid of your house because you're trying to get enough money so that you can go and buy that field. You're going to get get rid of everything. Your parents, your your kids, everyone is saying you're nuts. What's happening? And they're like, you know, inside they know something that you don't know. They know something. They've seen something of a treasure. And so they go and sell all that they have and they buy that field. That's the kingdom of God. And that's the reality that we have before us is that one day, Romans 14, 11 and other places and throughout the scripture, we say, uh, as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. We sang it just this morning, right? Every tongue shall confess to God. The mission has always been not about man. And about our needs. But it's really about God and his infinite glory. And you know, people say, well, that sounds kind of selfish. That God would just always be about himself and about his glory. But what they don't realize is that 
It is the glory of God to bless. It is the glory of God to take care of us. And that when we seek his glory, when we seek his kingdom, what does Jesus say? All these things shall be added to you. It is the father's heart to lavish you with love, to lavish you with the things that your heart is seeking for and searching for all around us. People are, you know, trying to find answers, right? They're trying to find the solution and it's emptiness. But God says, when you seek me, you seek my kingdom, you seek my glory. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And the thing that you are looking for, you will find. Right. But if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. And so that's the the upside downness of the kingdom, I like to say. So. He says uh, in in another place, Jesus was teaching them and saying, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? All the nations. But you made it a den of robbers. You remember the story, right? Jesus in the whip. It's kind of a crazy thought, you know, Jesus going to the temple and, you know, swinging a whip and throwing over tables. And, you know, he's pretty upset. But what is he upset about? Not merely that they made the house a house of merchandise, but really that they were setting up this merchandise in the place where the Gentiles, the nations would come and meet with God. So there was no place for the nations in their heart, in, in their in their church, if you will. There was no place. And Jesus was not happy about that. And so it's the same uh, case with us in, in today. You know, I, I love the stories of Jesus. How many of you uh, were able to see that movie, The Son of God? Did anyone get to see it? A couple of you. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy around it. You know, some people are criticizing it for this or for that. You know, there's, you know, maybe some right criticism there. But I got to see it with my son. And one of the one of the stories I loved was um, the interaction that he had with Matthew, the tax collector, you know, and he was looking at Matthew. You could just tell like Matthew had had an encounter with him and he had had an encounter with Matthew before they even met, you know. And uh, I love the stories of the New Testament when Jesus interacts with people. And one of the stories I love the most is the story of Jesus and the woman from Samaria, right? You know the story of the woman at the well. She had so many husbands and the one she was with. Is not her husband. And so, you know, Jesus is talking to her and he says, give me some water to drink. And, you know, she's like, who, do you know who you're talking to? You're not supposed to be talking to me. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You believe this. I believe that. You know, all these things there. But Jesus intentionally crosses a boundary and a barrier to reach this woman. And, 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 and of course, she is amazed by her encounter She goes back into the village. She tells everyone about Jesus. And then they come back and they say, we don't believe because of your word. We believe because we have seen it ourselves. And so this was an excellent example of the of the heart of Jesus to move beyond the cultural barriers and to go and to and and to uh, cross over into places where, you know, other people are just wanting to overlook because of their prejudice. And we've got to deal with these things in our heart, too. What are we prejudiced against? Maybe there's some Samaritans in our city that we see them and go, oh, yeah, those guys over there. They're from that people. And, you know, we have these. We don't even like to say it out loud, but in our heart, the Lord knows that we think of them as a certain way. And we wouldn't even, you know, be friends with them or we would just kind of like let them be there. You know, a lot of Americans are this way with Muslims. They're very afraid 
because of 9-11, because of different things that we see, the radical Islamists that are out there. We would see someone, maybe even a Sikh, you know, with a head turban. We think, oh, I don't want to talk. I wouldn't talk to that guy. You know, he's like really into his religion because he never cuts his hair, you know. But you may find that the encounter that you have through love with the Holy Spirit moving through you, that person may be more open than you would ever even imagine. And so we have to overcome our prejudices. And so, you know, this is this is something that is, is really for all of us. No believer is exempt from living on mission with God. We know the verse, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? Very famous. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus has all authority, right? This commission is for believers of all times. Go, he says. Make disciples, baptize in my name, teach them to observe or obey everything I have commanded you. So there are disciples who are commanded to make disciples who are commanded to make disciples who make disciples. And that's why we're in this room to this day, right? Someone led you to Jesus. Someone took the time to cross a barrier and reach out to you. And maybe some of you in this room can say, yeah, and I was pretty hostile. Maybe you're hostile even today. And the Lord is trying to get a hold of your heart and say, this is the opportunity for you to come into alignment with the story, to become a part of what he is doing, not just here in Southern California, but all over the world. I mean, if you would say to me many years ago, 18 years ago, that I would be standing before you talking about these things, I would think that you were really crazy. But the Lord has his way, you know, to change the Saul's into Paul's. You know, to turn the guys that were persecuting and mocking into the greatest proponents of the faith. And so by his grace, we are what we are. Right. And so Jesus, uh, he says, you know, this has never stopped. And he's given to you the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is you say, well, pastor, you know, you do all the work and we'll just tithe and we'll give offerings and then we'll just come on Sunday. But really, you are the minister. So you do the ministry. Right. Well, that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that all believers have in them a ministry. And and the primary ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, where God would use you to go to someone. And it says literally in this verse that he would implore through you that it was almost like this earnest come to God, please, because of what Jesus did for you. God will use you in people's lives. To bring reconciliation between them and, and, and to God. And you say, well, who am I? Right. Who are we? Apart from the spirit of God, we have nothing. Apart from the blood of Jesus, we are men and women to be most pitied. Right. But we have the Savior and we can bring people to the knowledge of Christ through the, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And he says, for he, he made him to, uh, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we move um, from this role of an ordinary Sunday morning Christian only to a person who's on mission with God, literally an ambassador of one kingdom to another. And so he says that he makes his appeal through us. And God's the one who initiates it. He's the one who carries out the mission. He's the one who who does it through you. 
He secured your freedom. He crushed the head of the serpent. And now what we must do is trust and believe and cleave to him, right? Because he's our life. The good news message. The good news message we proclaim in word and in action with our lives and with our words. And the work of leadership is to get us ready for the work of the ministry wherever you are, whether you're a housewife or in business or you're working in some other vocation. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to what? Equip the saints. You're saints. Look at look at your neighbor and tell him you're a saint. You're a saint. That's right. You're a saint. You are a saint. Now, you may not feel like a saint sometimes. You may feel like just a dirty, rotten sinner. And we are. We have been dirty, rotten sinners who have saved by grace. But the Bible calls us saints. There's a tension there. Because of our righteousness is not of ourselves, it's from Christ. And so we are the saints. And we have the work of ministry. God has prepared, he says in another place in Ephesians, prepared good works in advance for us to do so that we could walk in them. Everybody in this room is not exempt. You're not exempt from living on mission with God. You have a purpose. It's sometimes it may mean that you have to just cross the aisle at work, right? For some people, you're crossing the street in your neighborhood. For some people, you may be crossing a cultural barrier like Jesus did in Samaria. You may find yourself taking a trip, maybe this summer to China and the Zhuang people. Maybe you go to another place. Maybe some of you business people are going overseas and coming back and forth. God can use that. But still, there are some people who will cross from this culture into a completely different culture to bring the message of the king and his kingdom to those who have little to no access to it. And we call these people who have little to no access to the gospel in our generation, we call them unreached people groups. Unreached people groups are those with little to no access to the gospel. Their population is usually less than 2% evangelical or born-again believers and less than 5% Christian of any kind, meaning it could be just nominal Christians, Roman Catholics, cultural Christians, whatever. It could be... So access means that they couldn't hear the message even if they wanted to. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't hear the message. And that's the greatest injustice, I believe, in the world today. We talk about justice. Very popular to talk about justice. And there are some things that are happening all around us that are injustices. But the greatest injustice is that people would live and die without an opportunity. And that's why we still send and we still go. And so here are the unreached people groups. You can see in the orange there, of all people groups, the number in unreached people groups is 38%. About the same as that are in the number of or the Christians and evangelicals globally. And then the yellow there you see are those who are formative, meaning they're just coming into uh, faith, or they're nominal, which nominal means by name only. So, you know, you've met people like this. Maybe you are that way now. Maybe you were this way. I'm a Christian. But your life that you live apart from your Sunday morning church experience is completely different than what you see in the Scripture. And so that would make you nominal. So the unreached there are... Uh, 38%. 7,000 what we call ethno-linguistic people group. Ethno meaning ethnic dialect type people like Zhuang people. They have a certain dialect. They're not Han Chinese. They speak a different dialect. Linguistic, you know, that they're, they're by their dialect, they're different. They see themselves as different. They're usually closed off to outsiders because of uh, prejudices or even geography or even their own society and their communal ways 
are very different from the host uh, society. We would see like, you know, we have villages and places here. We maybe have Chinatown, Koreatown, Spanish town. You know, it's hard for those groups sometimes to get together because of their, they, they're a little bit centric around their own ethnic, ethnic backgrounds. And that's normal. That's the normal course of human, oh, excuse me, the human heart is to be like, we want to be around folks that are like us. As we come into maturity and faith in Christ, we open ourselves up to see ourselves as part of a global family. And then we begin to, to grow in that. And so by far, these people live in countries. Uh, these countries have the most unevangelized population. Number one, India. Number two, China, Pakistan, Indonesia, Iran. We see our country where we served in Thailand, Algeria, Morocco, Bangladesh, and Afghanistan. But a lot of these unreached people groups are living in populations, some as small as 10,000 believers or 10,000 uh, in population or less. So who will go and cross the barrier to reach them? You think about throwing a stone into, uh, into a, a lake, right? If you throw one stone into a lake, but there's 10,000 lakes around, Will that one ripple effect touch the other lakes? No, it won't, right? You have to throw a stone in each lake in order to hit and make an impact. Same thing with unreached people groups. Oh, we're going to go to China, and we're going to reach China. But which you're reaching Han Chinese, right? So you throw a rock in the Han Chinese lake, and it makes a ripple. <laughs> Are the Zhuang going to be able to receive from that ripple? No, because they, they live in another lake. Because they're separated not by their nation, but by their ethnic group. And that's why there are 7,000 unreached people groups, but only, you know, there's a, a limited amount of, of nations, a, a smaller amount of nations. So Jesus said this, John 4, when he was talking to the, uh, during the time of the woman of Samaria, when he said, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus says there's not a better time. Now is the time. Matthew chapter 9, 38, he commands us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would literally thrust out laborers into his harvest. This is a prayer in Matthew 9, 38 and Luke 10, 2, that every believer is commanded by Jesus to pray. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. What was a commandment? Pray the Lord of the harvest thrust out laborers into his harvest. Could it be? That we don't have people among these unreached people groups because we don't know about it, number one. Secondly, we're not praying Matthew 9, 38 and Luke 10, 2. And this is something that we all can do as believers, right? And I'm going to share a little bit about that towards the end. So the Apostle Paul, we, we read the scripture earlier, Romans 15, 20. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So that I, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 2,000 years after Jesus gave the Great Commission, there are still places where Christ has not been named. And we need more people to make it their ambition to preach the gospel to these places. Amen? That's what we're talking about today. The, the mission is not complete, right? The mission is still not complete. That's why we're talking about these things today. And when we get there, we have to be willing to give up our own ways. That's why I really honor uh, your, your workers there. Because they've given up something. You can see it. You can feel it, right? If you know them, you can see kind of like they're struggling a little bit about that heaviness of 
you know, trying to be there without this or that. And it's okay for them to be real. I hope that you will never make them try to act like something they don't really feel inside. I don't believe that you would. But it's really important for them to be able to be real because that's where you can really pray for them. If they are like, oh, everything's fine, praise the Lord, you know. It's, it's really, it really is tough. It's not like going to Africa and whenever you just say Jesus, like 10,000 people gather. You know what I mean? This is, this is tough ground. This is fallow ground. So they need our prayers and support. But this is what Paul said. Though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. See, he, he made himself something. That was a choice that he had. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in his blessings. Paul acknowledges freedom as a believer. We all have freedom in this room, right? It is for freedom Christ set us free. I'm I'm not trying to impose some kind of law on you that you must do this and you must do that, right? But there's a choice that we can make in our freedom. And that's what Paul chose to do. He he chose to make himself a servant to others. And he became as one of them and he followed Jesus' example and he did what we call incarnate the gospel. Incarnate means carne, to put on the carne asada, to put on the flesh, right? To put on the flesh and to become one with them. And he did it all for what? The sake of the gospel, because he saw the absolute supremacy of the gospel, the infinite worth of Jesus. So we have more understanding of the task. We have more potential resources for the mission. What we don't have is the focus. We need people who will tell this story and call other people to their place in it. That's that's why you're listening to this, because it's not simply the pastors and the leaders job to do it. But you as a believer can understand this and say, you know what, where where are you in God's story right now? Where are you? What has God called you to do? You can encourage one another. In fact, it tells us as believers to encourage one another daily, right? Because the time is short. And so this is the, the, the kind of the culmination scripture of everything that we're talking about, right? Matthew 24, 14. This is a great memory scripture. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. People talk about end times. They talk about Jesus coming, but they don't realize that something has to precede that, and that is the gospel has to go to all the peoples, to all the nations. That word, to all nations in Greek, is the word, the phrase, pantata ethne, ethne, where we get our word ethnic from, ethnic people groups. It's not simply nation states, but ethnic people groups, the families of the earth. The blessing of Abraham has to come upon all the families of the earth through Jesus Christ. And so the end is really just the beginning because God will culminate his kingdom. He will set up his king and the nations will be there before him. We see it right here. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God, for every nation and language and people and nation, right? Every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation five, nine. 
Jesus paid the price with his own blood. He ransomed people for God. Where did they come from? A few nations? A couple of Western nations? No, right? Every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. And so this is, this is the end of what God is going to do. And as we said, he himself is doing it. He's inviting us to play our part. Because this is the opportunity that we have. The blessing of God is upon us so that we might be a blessing. As it was upon Abraham, it will be upon us in order that. And see what happens a lot of times in our, in our Western mentalities. You know, we think, and in those of you who are in this room, even though you're Asian, you have Western mentality because you live in Southern California. Maybe you're a bicultural person too. You have a little bit of both. But here's the thing. We have to recognize that sometimes we think the blessing is, is for me. It's for me to be blessed. God wants me blessed. But the blessing is, is to continue to be a blessing. As we give and we sow, God says, I will pour it back on you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. You can't even contain it so that you can continue to bl- bless again so that it can come back. You know, you're a conduit. You're not like the Dead Sea, right? Think about the Dead Sea. The water flows and it goes into the Dead Sea. Why is it the Dead Sea? Because there is no what? Outlet. There is no outlet. It becomes dead when there is nothing flowing out. The house of prayer for all nations, right? When you are a house of prayer unto all nations, for all nations, the blessing comes in and flows out. When you, are, when you and your family are open to the move of God and the Holy Spirit is operating in you and there's an outlet by sharing your faith like you've been talking about. There's an outlet of just sharing your joy and your testimony. You get more. As you give, more comes. You know, a lot of people are just not happy because they're just me-centered. They're selfish. They're focused in on themselves. They're trying to save their life. They're trying to hold on to things. I remember the story of a man, I think it was somewhere in the the southwest. Maybe some of you have heard it. The guy who died with all the gold in his house. You ever hear that story? There was this guy who like, he like stored up all this gold and he lived in like this little ranch style house. But he was so like, you know, I've got to keep all this. He died literally with like tons of gold. It was was just massive. And it's amazing because he never got a chance to uh, use it. He was just a miser, a hoarder. Let's not be like that. Second Peter 3.12, right? So here's another one. Let me just read this before I move on. And looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and language standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. I love this because it, it's, it doesn't say there's just a few. It says a great multitude that no one could number. We don't have to figure out how it's all going to play out in the end, okay? We can have our, you know, understandings, but God is going to do it somehow, some way, whether with us or not. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, but they did not step up to that mandate. God still did it. But we want to be those who say, here am I, Lord, right? Send me. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet receives revelation. He was a a man who had a relationship with God. 
But then he has this encounter that rocks his world. And he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord. And he says, and and then it says the angel went and took a coal from the altar and touched his lips. He said, your your sin has been uh, forgiven. You've been atoned for. So then he hears a voice that says, who shall go for us? Whom shall I send? And out of that, that power encounter, out of that glory experience with God, he says, here am I, Lord, send me. And he really was sent, not on a mission successful, but on a mission impossible. Go. They're not going to listen to you. Go. They're going to hate you. But I'm sending you. I'm going to make your face like, like iron, like flint. And, and he went. So hopefully... With the grace of God, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, you know, the gifts of the Spirit operating in through your life, whatever God's called you to do, we have a better chance maybe than Isaiah did at that time. But the Lord knows, and our work is with Him. It's not simply this, you know, sometimes this model of progress and success in numbers, but being faithful. Who knows, even with our friends in, in, among the Chinese in the Zhuang people, if they will, maybe it will be their children who have grown up, you know, all of their lives among these people who will bring the breakthrough. What does that take? It takes a commitment by the people who are standing with them, right? To say, we're with you in the long haul because we believe in you. We believe in God in you. That's why in the local church is so important to build relationships and to, to see, let people see your faithfulness over time so that it's not hard. It's like, when God calls you, it's like we've been knowing you. You've, you've grown up here among us, you know. It's easy to say yes, to send you. And so um, we can look forward to and hasten the coming of the day of God. It says in Second Peter 3.12, waiting for and hastening the day of the coming of God. We're looking for it. We're waiting for it. We long for it. It's the attitude of our heart, right? And we can hasten its coming. And how do we do that? By doing Matthew Twenty four fourteen, bringing the gospel to the last remaining unreached people groups. These people groups live in a place that we call the 1040 window. And it's because of this uh, 1040 window, it refers to the latitude and the longitude on the map. And it's home to the main unreached people groups. Some of the poorest of the poor, right? Some of the greatest persecution, some of the greatest injustices are found in this part of the world from North Africa over to Japan, encompassing India and China, all the countries that we, we mentioned before. And it's, it's in this place we find poverty and persecution and injustice, such as infanticide, you know, babies being born. Because they are not male babies, they are killed because the parents would prefer a female baby. This is, we've seen this even come out in the news. Babies were, this one baby was in the pipe. You guys remember that? You remember seeing it on social media, maybe you saw the baby in China was in that pipe. Someone flushed the baby down the toilet or something. It was just I mean, that's what they found. Imagine what they don't find. In India, this is happening all the time with infanticide. Great injustice. Human trafficking. You've heard about this. Human trafficking, sex trafficking happening especially in Thailand and Cambodia and Laos, and these people are making, you know, a dollar a day. And so there's a great profit in there, and the human heart is so dark, it's, people are, are swept up into this. Of course, we know jihad, the killing of, of, of people in the name of religion. 
This is even being done among the Buddhists right now in Myanmar. The Rohingya, the Muslim background believers, or the Muslim background people in Myanmar are being killed by the Buddhists. Which you think, well, the Buddhists are peaceful, you know, of course. But the monks are actually leading the charge about killing the Muslims. Then you go one, one uh, country over into Thailand, southern Thailand, and the Malaysian Muslims are killing the Thai uh, Buddhists. So the Buddhists are killing the Muslims, the Muslims are killing the Buddhists, and people in the name of Christ have done these things throughout centuries. And we know that that's not the way of Christ. That's not what God wants or desires. It's, and, and it's actually, it, it breaks his heart. He said in Genesis 6, he repented that he had made man because evil and violence had been so great upon the face of the earth. And so, but what, what is the answer? Evil triumphs when good men and women do nothing. When good men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God, who understand the way it should be, don't do something, then evil triumphs in these places. And so these are the places, some of the worst. And you can see in the red dots there, those are the unreached people groups. As they are scattered uh, mainly throughout North Africa, you can see India, China, Thailand, Indonesia. There, the, the, the green are the, the, the Christians, the believers, the churches. And then the yellow are the nominal, more nominal areas. And so look at Africa. Isn't that an amazing story of the last 100 years? The center for global Christianity has moved from Europe to Africa. So you ask, what is, what is the, the profile of a global Christian now? It's probably a woman, number one, like the average, is a woman who is poor from a village, whether it's in Africa or Brazil. That's the profile of a global Christian. It's not a white Anglo uh, male from Europe or America. The global south, as we call it, Latin America, Asia, um, Africa, they, that's where the, the gospel is spreading the fastest, and that's where the greatest hope lies. In fact, in, in this room, Asians reaching out to Asians, crossing cultures, bicultural people, reaching out um, um, to near-cultural people. You know, it's a little bit sometimes easier for an Asian face to, to share the gospel with an Asian, another Asian. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's better for someone that looks completely different to come out because of the the, the cultural um, advantages that we have, especially like in India right now among high-class ca- high Hindus. You know, the, the most of the Indian church are from the lower ca- caste. So they try to go out and re- reach out to the high-caste people, and they go, oh, I don't want to become like you. You're like down here. But someone from the West comes, and they're like, oh, wow, what university did you go to? And, oh, you're a doctor. You're a businessman or whatever. They, they respect that. Now, as they come to faith in Christ, they will look at their Dalit brother, the one who is the lower caste, and they will see them really as a brother. That's discipleship, right? We believe things and know things now as we come into faith and discipleship that we didn't believe five years ago or maybe ten years ago because we've grown. God expects that of us. And so some of uh, the ways that you can remember, who are the unreached people groups? The great imbalance here is that 86% of Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists don't even know a Christian friend. This came from Dr. Todd Johnson, the Center for Global Christianity, Study of Global Christianity. And he did this. He, he studies all of the, the, the church throughout the world. He was a son-in-law of Dr. Winner. And he, he gave this statistic. And I thought, this is amazing, right? Now, there are certain parts of the world where this is a less percentage because there's more interaction. But this is globally. So when you 
when you re- meet someone who's from a Muslim background, a Hindu background, a Buddhist background, the, the reality is a lot of times they just don't even have a, a true Christian friend. They don't have someone that's really living the life of Jesus. And if you remember that, you can play a part in changing that statistic. You can play a part right here in Southern California, one of the most diverse cities on the face of the earth, right? One of the most diverse. I, I, I think there are probably... I don't know the specific number. I know there are at least 100 unreached people groups in around the, uh, the L.A. area, different types of unreached people groups. So, you know, look for those opportunities to make friends. You can remember it by the acronym THUMB, tribals, Hindus, unreligious, which I say are the Chinese, like the atheistic Chinese, and the Muslims and Buddhists. It's an easy way to remember it. Here's a, here's a statistics for you. It's really important for you to understand about focus. Only two out of ten missionaries that serve globally are working among unreached people groups. Two out of ten. And that's probably maybe even more than what actually is. It might be one out of ten. So there's a great imbalance here. Now, not everybody gives money to missions, right? Some people just, you know, do local outreaches and stuff. But out of the money that's given to missions, only one dollar out of 100 goes to the mission field where people are serving unreached people groups are at least advocating for them. So this is a great imbalance. Like I said before, we have more personnel, people potentially in the global church than we ever had before. We have more resources financially, but we don't have the focus. And we know that Matthew 24, 14 is what God wants us to see uh, see happen. So we have to, to focus. I want to show you this video. And it kind of sums up in just a sh- a one minute what it uh, means to follow the unreach. Imagine our world with 7 billion people. 1 billion of those people profess to be born-again believers in Jesus Christ. If for one day each of these Christians shared their faith with each person they met, the number of people who would have heard the gospel would skyrocket to 4 billion people. 4 billion people who have heard Jesus Christ. But what about the other 3 billion them, people with no scripture, no witness of Christ, suffering in a world without hope, caught in religious systems with no access to truth. Who will reach them when only two out of every ten missionaries go to unreached people groups, and 99 out of every $100 spent to the mission field bypasses them? So, what's the end here? Wrapping up. I believe with all my heart that God wants you to know this message and he wants you to share it. But more than that, he wants you to be whole in your heart. He wants you, uh, he wants to heal your heart. He wants to help you to grow and be spiritually whole and moving forward with him so that you can be a blessing, not only here in your community, but even to the uttermost ends of the earth. This is, this is the, the will of God for you right now. And, and what are some of the things that you can do? You can know, you can pray, you can give, you can go, you can welcome, you can mobilize. Knowing is what we're doing today. Praying, Matthew 9, 38, Luke 10, 2. If you have an iPhone or an Android or something like that, you can download uh, Joshua Project's Unreached People Group of the Day app. It's free. And every day you can get a notification of a different unreached people group to pray for them. So you can play a part in what God is doing. Today is the... Uh, Kampalajian people from Indonesia. 
68,000 are in Islam. No one's trying to reach them. You could pray for them today on your phone. Every day, set the, set the alarm uh, 9.38 or 10.02, 10.02, and pray for the unreached people group. You can give, as you have been doing, to support the Zhuang and other missionaries that are advocating for these type of things. You could go, short-term trip. Maybe God would lead you to go and be a part of the team or go somewhere else. You can welcome uh, internationals, others in your community that are Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, background, Chinese, and you can mobilize. You can get other people involved in the mission of God. And so these are things that we can do. And the question or the, the thing that I want to say to you is the time is short. The king is coming. We are to look forward to and hasten the day of his coming. May we be found faithful when he comes. And so I just thank you guys for the opportunity to share with you this morning. If you want to stay in contact with us on Twitter at John Lambert, spreadtheflame.com or uscwm.org slash Lambert. Thank you guys for this opportunity. Um, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you are at a place where you're kind of checking things out, but you haven't stepped over the line, I really want to encourage you that this, this gospel is for you. And this message that I, I spoke about today is for you. So I want to encourage you to make that, that, that choice in your heart, right? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Pastor.